Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. The second best introduction I've ever received. The other one was my mom. Uh, so uh, thank you, bro. It's great to be here and excited to be here. You guys good? You okay out there? All right. Uh, I'm proud of you for coming out tonight on Tuesday night. Uh, my name's David, and uh, I'm not going to tell you much because Brandon already did. Um, but it's an honor to be with you tonight and very, very excited. Uh, I'm a short drive away, uh, about 45 minutes. Uh, and so uh, I am here with my daughter, uh, Adeline Grace. Addie, will you stand? This is Adeline Grace. And uh, turn around real quick. Look at him. There you go. And she's 12. Um, and so my wife, Renata, and I have four kids. Um, Dawson is 15, got his permit today. Uh, I'm scared. Uh, so are you. All right. Stay off 435. And uh, then my little girl, Olivia's 13. Um, Adeline is, is that right? Olivia's 13, yep. Addie's 12, yeah. And then Justice, he's 10, nine. He's nine. I'm a great dad. And so, <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, my wife, Renata, she has uh, brown hair, brown eyes, and uh, all, all, of, all three of our four kids look a lot like her. Um, dark hair, dark eyes, olive skin. Uh, but then I have one who is a little bit shorter, a little blonde, Little blue eyes, and uh, that's my that's my Addie Grace right here, and so she's with me tonight. Um, when she was three, uh, I was just so loving the fact that I finally had a child that looked like me, which sounds narcissistic because it is. And uh, <laughs> and uh, so I got down on one knee and I looked at my little blonde hair, blue eyed Addie Grace, and I said, Addie, when I look at you, I see me. And three years old, she put her little hands on my cheeks, and she said, Daddy, when I look at you, I see you. <laughs> and so, anyway, uh, I'm glad you're here tonight. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Um, I want to talk about prayer a little bit tonight. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Exodus chapter 17. Um, like Brandon said, uh, I spent um, most of my, my um, adult life in Colorado Springs uh, I spent five years um, doing a, a, a youth conference ministry and going to college from 95 to 2000. And then from 2000 to 2016, I was at New Life in Colorado Springs. Then my wife and I and our kids uh, planted Radiant Church uh, in uh, Overland Park. And uh, we're having the time of our life. We've never worked this hard in our lives, um, but we're loving it. We're seeing God move powerfully and uh, it's really, really fun. And so it's an honor to be with you. And I'm excited to see what God's going to do tonight. And I love that you guys love young people. I uh, hear we got a youth pastor right here in the Huzz house. And so I love that. Um, what's your name? Huh? Let's give Josh a big hand, everybody. And he looks like a youth pastor, doesn't he? I mean, he's got his socks over his pants, and he's got, like, hipster vibes and can play a keyboard. Like, mm, I'll bet that he drinks $6 coffees. And uh, <laughs> Is it possible? Yeah, it's just the way it is. And so that's the presence of God. There it is. All right. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Exodus 17. Josh, good job, man. Way to go. Way to lead young people. Good job. Uh, 
Exodus chapter 17, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about prayer, Brandon, so thanks for that, and uh, we'll go there. I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, my journey into prayer, and then we're going to um, talk about prayer, and then we're going to pray. Can we turn this into a big fat prayer meeting tonight? Is that okay? Oh, I like this church. <clears throat> I like the way this is going. Father, we love you tonight. And Jesus, we ask, Lord, that you would come, and Lord, that you would work supernaturally tonight. Father, we ask that lives would be transformed and changed. Jesus, we, we just ask that tonight wouldn't be um, filler, that it wouldn't be just one moment that we kind of forget about, but would you work in our hearts and that there would be eternal fruit as a result of our gathering. God, we pray, Lord Jesus, I pray here for ES First. I pray, Lord, that this would be a church that reaches the lost in this area. I pray that they would make disciples. I pray that they would help people discover what God's called them to be, to be missionaries, to take the good news of the gospel into every, every mall, restaurant, every school, every part of this whole region. Uh, I thank you, Lord God, for Brandon. I pray your favor and your blessing on him. Lord, we love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. Uh, so my parents had the shock of their lives in 1976. Uh, my dad's a pastor, um, and uh, they were dreaming about having a kid. And uh, so they had been married for eight years uh, with no pregnancy, but after eight years, they finally had a pregnancy, and they were so excited, only to find out that they had twins. And uh, they got excited even a little bit, a little more excited. And then my mom, after 81 hours of labor, had the doctor lean over, and, and I was born, my sister Dana was born, and then the doctor said to my mom after 81 hours, Debbie, uh, would you buy me a hot fudge sundae if I gave you another baby? And my mom didn't know if to laugh or cry. And uh, so uh, my parents gave birth, my mom gave birth to, <laughs> my dad didn't do, he didn't do nothing. Uh, my mom, she's the hero, uh, gave birth to triplets uh, that day. And, um, and so uh, my mom's name is Debbie. I'm David, my four-minute younger sister, Dana, and then Deborah, and my brother Dan, and my dad's name is Hal, and uh, so, <laughs> and uh, so my parents had triplets. If you're not familiar with what triplets are, it's the equivalent of being born in a litter. Um, it's the exact same, and so my parents uh, had triplets, and uh, in, back then they couldn't afford to buy car seats, and so they, they, they uh, we had a station wagon, and they, they drove us around in a cardboard box. Um, and they would go into restaurants, and people thought they were bringing in their puppies, but it was their children. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, anyway, as uh, as we got older, um, uh, my dad was committed to making disciples, and so uh, he gave each one of us an evening of the week to disciple us. And so, uh, my dad was impacted by reading the Gospels about how Jesus intentionally was with one and then Jesus was with three. So with John and then Peter, James and John and then 12. And my dad actually formed his life around that idea. Uh, and so he thought of my mom being the primary uh, helpmate that God had given him. And then he, he called his Peter, James and John, David, Dana and Deborah, the triplets that were born. And so uh, he would disciple each one of us. And so each one of us got a, a time with him. Uh, he called it a date. As I got older, I asked if we could change the word to meeting. Um, but I had a meeting with my dad 
uh, every week. And so my mom was Monday, Debbie Day, Tuesday, David Day, Wednesday, Dana Day, Thursday, Dee Dee Day, and Friday, Daniel Day. And so that by the time that I was uh, in junior high, I was very close to my dad. And he had spent uh, each uh, Tuesday late afternoon, early evening, spending time connecting with me. And we'd sit at a, a table, and uh, there wasn't coffee shops uh, culture back then, but we would sit at a McDonald's or an Arby's or something, and he would ask me questions, help me learn uh, to follow Jesus. And so um, when I was in the uh, seventh grade, I'm telling you this story because I had someone ask me recently, uh, when did you, how did you get so passionate about prayer? I, I, I've been leading prayer meetings since the ninth grade, and, um, and so they were asking, where did it start? And this is how it started. Uh, I, I, I saw, so seventh grade, I experienced um, the hardest seas in my life. Uh, I had um, hypothyroidism that we didn't know uh, about until I was in the seventh grade. But in the second grade, I had stopped growing. And so as a triplet, uh, both my sisters continue a, a normal growth pattern, but I stayed at about four foot four. And um, when we entered into seventh grade, uh, we moved from Moscow, Idaho to Oklahoma City. And uh, so I was found myself as this four foot four seventh grader in a public school in a big town compared to where I'd grown up. And I didn't have any friends. And I went through a season of being really uh, just bullied. And there was one kid who was by far the worst. And, uh, and I hated this kid. Uh, this kid uh, threw me into lockers. Uh, as a 12-year-old, he literally, he was, and he was, he was a, a football player. Uh, he was an athlete. And I was the littlest kid in school by a long shot. And so uh, he, he did things, pulled my hair, called me out in public, made fun of me. And really, no, I, I was picked on a lot, but nobody even touched how much this guy did. And so my dad, in one of our Tuesday times, uh, uh, and I were talking, and I began to tell my dad about how much I hated this kid. And my dad said to me, David, my dad asked questions. That's how he makes disciples. So he takes the questions that Jesus asked his disciples, and he would ask me the exact same questions. And so uh, I was, by discipleship, I was always answering his questions. But he would then ask me, how do you think Jesus would respond in this situation? And I said, well, Jesus says to love your enemies. And he says, what else does he tell us to do? And I said, well, Jesus tells us to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he said, is this kid named Sean? Is he is he is he persecuting you? And I said, well, it's not for my faith. He's just beating me up. And my dad said, well, what do you think Jesus wants you to do? And I said, I, I, I don't want to do what Jesus wants me to do. I, I hate him. And my dad said, okay, are we supposed to hate? No. Should we love? Yes. How are you going to get to the point where you love the guy you currently hate? I have no idea. Well, if you'll pray, God will start to give you his heart. Well, I don't feel like praying. Oh, are you living by your emotion or your conviction? Conviction. All right. So are you, a say, are you, are you following Jesus? Yes, I am. Okay, let's pray for him. And I looked at my dad with eyes rolled, just like, you've got to be kidding me. And they are sitting at a Sonic at 122nd and MacArthur in Oklahoma City. We started to pray for the guy that I hated more than anybody in the world. And then uh, frequently on Tuesdays, he'd say, hey, let's, let's pray for Sean. And I'd say, I don't want to. And he'd say, David. So then my disciple-making father would help his 12-year-old son pray for the kid that created pain for me. And so uh, I would guess that over the course of my seventh grade year, we probably prayed for him on a Tuesday. I would guess conservatively eight times. I would guess aggressively 15 or 16. I can't remember exactly. 
but it was consistent. Went through uh, uh, the summer uh, before eighth grade, went to the first day of eighth grade. And uh, six one-hour classes, public school, 1,600 kids, seventh, eighth, ninth grade. And it would be rare, it would be rare to have um, two classes with one of your friends. Like you sometimes have one class, but to have like two classes with the same kid would be a lot. I went to the first day of eighth grade, and Sean was not in two of my classes. He was in three of my six classes. And no other kid was even in two, and he was in three. And uh, I came home, and I told my dad, Dad, you're not going to believe this. I hate eighth grade. I can't. Sean is in three of my classes. And my dad smiled. He always puts his tongue out on his lip. He says, David, I think God's up to something. And I said, judgment, pain, <laughs> suffering. And he goes, no, this is good. I said, this isn't good? Dad, this is awful. No, 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 David, this is good. No, this is awful. I went back to school the next day, and Ashawn had gotten a schedule change. No longer was he in three of my classes. Now he's in four of my six classes. And the one that was added was my fifth hour drama class. And uh, within, I came home, told my dad. My dad smiled and said, guarantee it. God's up to something. And uh, within two weeks, the first assignment that the teacher gave us was she paired us up and gave humorous duets, which means that you spend the entire drama hour with one other person. And you can only imagine who the teacher made my humorous duet partner, Sean. He was free safety on the football team. I was short, white, mullet, braces, drama, nerd. He was cool, popular. And so they gave us a script. It was Abbott and Costello. And I found myself with this same kid that I despised. And we're sitting there every day. Every day. Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know. I hate life. Who's on third? Going through it. If you don't know what that I'm talking about, I'm so sorry. And, uh, and in about October of that year, he said, hey, man. He goes, uh, how come you're so nice to me when I'm such a blank to you? And I said, I have to be. And he said, what do you mean? I said, my dad makes me. I'm a Christian. I follow God. We have to be kind to people that need us. He laughed. He said, ha, okay. And then uh, in November of that year, he said, hey, man, why don't, why don't we, like, hang out on the weekend sometime? I was in shock. Me? You? Yeah. So it's actually uh, the first Friday of December, eighth grade. Uh, he spent the night at my house. And uh, I wasn't sure if he wanted to be my friend or if he just had a crush on my sisters or what the story was. And it's about midnight in my room. And he goes, all right, tell me. I said, tell you what? He goes, tell me more about God. 
goes, I want what your family has. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I've seen all of the, like, frames with words on it. He goes, I know, I know you're like a, a Bible guy. He goes, I want, I, I want to, I want to be that. And then I was starting to connect the dots, like the coin hit the slot. And I was like, oh, this is, this is that. This is like, this is like the Great Commission or something. I mean, this is like, oh. And I said, you mean you want to like be a Christian? And he goes, uh, sure. Yeah, 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 what, what you are. And uh, so I'll just never forget the moment where we got out the Bible. I literally got down on my knees. I said, okay. And I'd watched preachers and youth pastors do this at church camp my whole life. And I just got down on one knee and I said, okay, uh, pray this after me. And I just said something like, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. You're good. You're good. You know, like, he gave his life to Jesus, and, and he became my best friend. And, yeah. He, uh, it was great, because then he said, uh, he, he made this quick turn. He, he started following Jesus aggressively, and then he, he said, let's, uh, because let's, let's start a prayer meeting. And I said, Why? And he goes, well, I was just reading what Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 6. And he says to pray. And he tells us that if we'll pray, he'll work. And I, I experienced um, someone who is my peer, my age, experiencing Jesus with no lineage, no church upbringing, just raw surrender, just raw transformation. And so we started ninth grade with a prayer meeting, five of us. We met every day, uh, Monday, Tuesday. There was another Christian event on Wednesday and then Thursday and Friday. There was this teacher that was in the woodshop. I'm going to get to my sermon. This is just kind of the, I'm just getting to know you. We're just getting to be friends. And, uh, and, and we met there every day and, um, and Sean, he started to play the guitar, taught himself. Vineyard. You're, I'm a little older than you, but this, it was like, um, anybody remember the vineyard music? Like, uh, Lord, light the fire again. We need your discipline. Like Kevin Prosh. Anyway, um, it, was not, it was the early 90s. It was awesome. And uh, so he started playing guitar, and we started worship and prayer in the, in the, uh, the wood shop room every day. And in that prayer meeting, so it's 1,500 kids in our school. And that, that prayer meeting grew to 280 kids. And um, we just, kids started giving their lives to Jesus. And, and then we started to pray for football players, which I was not one of them. Um, I tried, failed. Uh, we, we started praying for them to be healed when they get hurt. And kids were like, I got healed. And we're just like in this little, like, little movement, you know. It's like 14-year-olds leading 14-year-olds for revival, and um, it marked me. So that 10th grade, we did prayer meetings every day, and junior year, we did prayer meetings every day, and senior year, we did prayer meetings every day, and 
And when I graduated from high school, I joined a youth conference ministry that was doing prayer meetings. And, and then I, I went to, I graduated from college and went to a church. And the pastor said, hey, I want you to be the youth pastor. And I said, oh, I want to be a youth pastor. And he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to lead prayer meetings. And he said, you want me to pay you to lead prayer meetings? And I said, yeah, I said, that's all I want to do. And he said, uh, well, I need you to be the youth pastor. And I said, you mean like pizza and balloons and volleyball? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, mm. I was like, get someone else to do that. Just let me do prayer meetings. And he said, okay, I'll give you a year. He said, you can try it. And so we started prayer meetings and and in, and in 2002, we just we had 800 kids show up for a, a prayer gathering, and then it grew to, the next year it grew to 1,500, and then the next year it grew to uh, 2,100, and then it grew to where, uh, 2006, there's 8,000 teenagers there, and we're just on our knees praying and seeking God, and, and then I just, I spent all those years, we did conferences across the country and uh, I just say that to give you kind of my journey that if I could go anywhere tonight, I, I, I want us just to pray. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some Bible verse, but the Bible verse for me is, is just, it's just amazing that God works when we cry out to him. So I'm not in love with prayer meetings. I'm in love with God at work. And I just happen to be the seventh grade kid that saw God cause my jerk friend to become my best friend and change and shift. And then I just saw God move on my junior high campus and I saw God move on my high school campus and I saw God work in college and I saw God work when we prayed when I was a youth pastor. And, and I just believe, I believe that no matter where you're at tonight, whatever situation you're in, you may not see the fullness of the prayer that you prayed come to fruition, but by virtue of praying, you're laboring in the spiritual realm, and far better than watching Netflix, far better than watching any sport, far better than hanging out or eating at Chili's yet again, giving time to come before God and say, your will be done, is God saying, watch. Those people gather to pray, and he can't help but like a father, Lean over the balcony of heaven and be at work. I love to say it. I'm, I'm, I love being a dad. And uh, I kind of got a, a soft spot for my kids, right? Like, I just, I love to give them gifts. When, when they ask, it's just fun. It's just for me to have Adeline here. It's just fun. And to be honest with you, I'm going to buy her something on the way home. I just, it's, I got a soft spot being a dad, giving good gifts. And your father has a soft spot. It's, it's for his kids that come and ask him for good gifts. You come before him and ask for good gifts. And just like a good father, he wants to give not a snake, not a stone. He wants to give good gifts. And when you come before him tonight and you say, God, I need healing in my body. God, I, I'm asking that my children would come to know you. God, I'm asking that my husband would come to know you. God, I'm asking that you would move at ES first and that we would see a great harvest and we would see people who are addicted and messed up by pornography and drugs, that God loves to set his children free. 
that God wants to be at work, that God wants to do the things that he said he wants to do. He's just asking and inviting you to partner with him in accomplishing his mission. And so I just want to invite us tonight. Oh, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some scriptures, but my dream is that, is that that band or whoever wants to, the hipster youth pastor, someone come up here on the keys and in just a few moments, like we just get on our face and we pray. Just say, God, my heroes is Charles Spurgeon. He was known as the Prince of Preachers. He would take, people would come to his church in London because they wanted to figure out how to have a church like his. And they thought that they would say, preach like me and you'll have a great church. But he'd take them to the prayer meeting in the basement where the Monday night intercessors were crying out to God. And he would say, this is the powerhouse of the church. And I just believe as you go into 21 days of prayer, as you spend time praying and fasting and all the prayer movements that you'll do in 2020, to me, I, look, I read Jesus and I go, that's the powerhouse of the church. No matter how awesome your preacher is, no matter how cool your screens are, no matter how great the singers are, and no matter the vibes that the youth pastor puts off, what matters most is this, praying church that cries out to God, that says, your will be done. We need you more than we need anything. What we want, what we hope for, what we dream about is you. One of my favorite quotes is William Temple who said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I stop praying, the coincidences cease. And when you get around someone who prays, they've always got just story after story of, I don't know how it worked out. I don't know. It just it just did, and, and at the core, the skeptical world says, in mockery, coincidence. And the believing man or woman of faith who spent months, minutes, hours on their knees goes, not coincidence. God is at work. God is at work. But it's the man or woman of faith that chooses to believe that when you pray, you're laboring in the spiritual realm and that God hears your prayers and that as a work of your prayers, God says, it's actually my delight to partner with you to accomplish my kingdom on planet earth. You've got the invitation of the ages. I've got the invitation of the ages to come before God and pray, to come before God, get on our face and seek him far better than anything else that we could do. And we live in the culture that is the most entertained generation and the wealthiest nation in history. And it's one of the easiest ways to waste our lives because we have an abundance of prosperity. We have an abundance of entertainment and our souls are lacking. They're dry. And I'm telling you, if we'll get on our face and pray, you'll, we'll be surprised how much God says, I'll hear your prayers. So I want you to read uh, Exodus chapter 17, if you've got it, Exodus chapter 17. Just, I'm going to just look at this Old Testament story. We're going to talk about prayer, and then we're going to pray. Um, reads like this, John Wesley, this is Assembly of God Church. We, got, we, we love some John Wesley here, right? Come on now. Come on. My dad, when I was, uh, sorry, I'm just so distracted tonight. You guys are like, this is like storytelling hour. Uh, <laughs> my dad, he... Um, when I used to come home and I hated seventh grade so bad, he'd look, get down on one knee and say, David, 
God will use you. Say, David, you're John Wesley. David, you're John Wesley. I'd go back into my hallways of my junior high saying, I'm a John Wesley. I'm a John Wesley. After about three days, I came up to my dad and I said, hey, who's John Wesley? <laughs> it's my favorite in those years because he'd always get down. This is, that was always the way that he would do it. He'd always get down on one knee so that he could look his teenager eyeball to eyeball. And he just coached me on what it meant to follow Jesus. John Wesley said, prayer's where the action is. Tonight, we're going to get in on the action. All right, Exodus chapter 17, we're just going to read this story. Famous story, verse 8. This is a story where Moses goes with Joshua into a battle. And we live in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, Paul actually talks about that we are in a spiritual battle. It's not hypothetical. You live in a culture that says that it's weird to believe in, in a spiritual battle. But the very core of what's needed today in order to have victory is the faith that you're in a battle that is not just flesh and blood, but that you're in a spiritual battle. Anyway, here's a physical battle. It says this, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. And tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. And so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And, Mo and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses went up, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. So picture this. Here's Aaron and Hur holding up Moses' arms. And they're on top of the hill, and there's Joshua and the Israelite army fighting the Amalekites. And it's an intriguing story because if you can imagine, if you're Joshua, and you're in the middle of a battle, the temptation is to believe that it's all about you. Like imagine if you're Joshua, and you're down here in the battle, and you're actually fighting. Like in, you're, you are like, it, the temptation is to believe, this is about my strength. This is about how strong my soldiers are. This is about our weaponry. This is about our, our swords, right? Let's get strong. And if you're not aware of the God dynamic taking place with Moses, then all your efforts will be on, let's get a strategy. Let's get stronger. Let's get a better sword, a better shield. But if you're aware that when Moses' hands go up, we're winning. And when Moses' hands go down, we're losing. When you recognize that, you don't have any vision other than this. Get Moses' hands up. Like it doesn't matter. I'm down here. Here's what matters. When Moses' hands are up, I am invincible. When his hands are down, I am losing. And my friends are dying. You do not feel like having strategy meetings. You do not care 
about how strong your, your arms are. All those things, if it was just your battle is what you would be concerned with. If it was just you and your friends and there was not a God dynamic, you'd be like, Let's talk about our arrows. Let's talk about our swords. Let's talk about our weaponry. Let's talk about us. Let's get stronger. Let's rethink this. And this is what we do all the time. Hey, let's get some bigger screens. Hey, let's rethink. If we just had t-shirts with a bigger logo on it, hey, let, but if you're aware Aaron and her, it is your job to keep Moses' arms up. You have one desperate cry inside of you. Hey, fellas, get his arms up. Aaron, lift his left arm. Her, him, you, you know I'm talking, her the man. Get Moses' arms up. Up. I'm dying down here. I need God more than I need anything. I need God. And when those arms go up, the Israelites begin to win. Right? Arms go up. Arms go down. Amalekites win. Arms go up. Israelites win. Arms go down. If you're Moses, you're up. Unless you see that guy in your army you don't like. Listen, you listen to Jesus, everything he tells us, this isn't on you. This is God at work. Matthew 7, 7, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you for then everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, the door is open to them. You gotta be kidding me. No, no, no. Where's where the action is? No, no, no. Netflix, where the action is. No, no. ESPN, where the action is. No, no, no. XM Radio. No, no, no. No, no. Ashes compared to the power and the strength of the praying warrior on your face, laboring in the spiritual realm. And God goes, that's what I'm looking for. And the God who Job says that he just, he created creation with a mere breath in Job 26. And he creates. Think about the power that God possesses. When you pray, it stimulates the power of the Holy Spirit. You pray, God begins to work. Here's this battle that's going on. And even though there's a very physical battle, what matters is, where's God in the battle? Moses' hands up, because when Moses' hands are up, victory. In the same way today, same thing. When we pray, it's like we're saying, God, we want you in the battle. God, we want you. We've got shields and swords. We've got biceps and strategies. But if we have God, we have everything. And if we don't, we have nothing. And I'm telling you, for some reason, the way that God decided to run his kingdom was to have weak, broken people ask him to do what he has said he wants to do. Charles Spurgeon said, whether we like it or not, asking is the way of the kingdom. 
Oh, the dignity of the person that gets to just come before God and ask and seek and knock. That's why it's so great to be an intercessor. You don't have to be athletic. What's up? You don't have to be handsome. You don't have to be 6'5". You don't have to be super intelligent. And you can change the world. It takes faith. It takes faith. We're all in the rat race trying to impress each other. Trying to get rich, be cool, and be entertained. Ashes. It ends in nothing. But every prayer. That's why it's... I was thinking about Revelation 19 where it says, it ends with us saying, hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Think about that moment. Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So what you're saying, the very end of human history is we look up and we say, hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent. That means all powerful. Omnipotent. You have all power. Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So one day we'll look back and we'll look at human history and we'll go, hallelujah. The all-powerful one reigns. You were right. You were righteous. The way that you said you ran your kingdom, you did. And you said that you heard every prayer. Yeah. And you said that when I asked, when I sought, when I knocked, you were at work. Yeah. And imagine if you can go back and look at your life. Go back and just go, oh, God, every time I prayed, you were working. He goes, yeah, I told you that. No, but it was really true. I just thought it was a postcard. It's for Pastor Brandon to bring up or the the short guy from Kansas City that came up. Like, I thought it was just what preachers said. No, no, no. Every prayer, every prayer, every prayer. Look at that. God, you heard my prayers in junior high. Yeah, and that affected that and that and no way. God, I couldn't see like I can see now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't tell you to understand it. I told you to do it like a child. <sighs> God, you heard that prayer? Yeah, I heard you in high school. Yeah, God, I, you heard me in my 20s. Yeah, yeah. Every prayer? No. Yeah, no. Every time I prayed, you were at work. Uh-huh. God, you didn't just hear my prayers. Every time my weak, broken prayers, everyone, even the awkward prayer meetings, like the unanointed, dull, boring prayer meetings when I was in college, and the only one who came was that girl that had a crush on me. Those were some awkward prayer meetings. Even those? Even those. No. God, you used the prayers with the junior high kids, but their only motive was to not have to do homework that night, but you heard their prayers and made a difference, and no. Yeah, 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 yeah. I said that. So we look back and we go, hallelujah. The Lord God, omnipotent reigns. You are awesome. You heard every word. You answered my prayers and their prayers. No, that's what I told you. 
Yeah, but God, I couldn't figure it out intellectually. Couldn't figure out how you use the free will of man to accomplish your sovereign purposes. Couldn't figure out how you could be both sovereign and use the prayers of, of an individual. Hey, Pee-wee, I'm God, you're Pee-wee. Oh, yeah. I'm God. I told you to pray like a child. I didn't tell you to understand it. I told you to do it. Ah, oh, yeah. God, if I could have seen then what I see now, I'd have given my life to prayer in a more intentional way. Ah. No, we want to be people that go. We want to give our, we want to believe, we want to buy in on it now. We want to punt on a Tuesday night movie, Wednesday night sports, Thursday night, filling up space to go, oh, God, have your way. You can get out of bed for that. Whether you're a person that loves to pray the scriptures, maybe you're a list intercessor where you pray for specific things for people, but you give yourself, you'll watch. Coincidences come to those that pray. They just sit back and go, I have no idea, but God is at work. God hears your prayers. And that's hard to do. It's hard to be a person of prayer because prayer in itself is a state of dependence. Saying I'm dependent on God. And our culture says the opposite of dependence. Our culture says independence. What's cool and vibey in our culture is independence. So in our culture, you're taught just you. You can do anything. Eye of the tiger, look inside of you. You can do this. Look inside you and be strong. Power up, man up, let's roll. Our culture teaches you to strut. Come on, show what you're made of. But the gospel is not to show who you are, but to show who he is. It's not to strut, it's to lean. I'm wholly dependent on you. I'm weak, I need you. My strength pales in comparison to your strength. I need God, I need God in the battle. I need God more than I need anything. And so when you're talking nightly prayer meetings, rising early to pray, praying at a flagpole with a bunch of teenagers, it's I'm wholly dependent on, on you. The invitation tonight is don't strut, lean. This, in this story, Moses' arm's going up. This is weird. If you're the Amalekites, hey, Moron Israelites doing with an old man top of the hill with his arms up and a staff. So weird. Still our culture. You're going to go to a prayer meeting on Tuesday night at ES First? Don't you know Big 12 basketball is on? Don't you have a computer with billions of videos on YouTube? Don't you know you could make an extra 50 bucks working somewhere, doing something? You could get ahead. You go to the prayer meeting. You're going to go cry out to an invisible God. You look like, what's wrong with you? A man or woman of faith is banking on that day where you will not have any regrets. You look back and go, hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And he used my prayers on that Tuesday night, made a difference in eternity. And another cheeseburger or another rerun of Parks and Rec can't compare to the surpassing greatness 
of knowing Christ, for whose sake I have lost all things, for whose sake I love. The other piece here is prayer. It activates God's hand. It's just, you, you actually have spiritual say-so. When you pray, Watchman Nee said, Satan's strategy is to put everything related to the Lord before prayer and make prayer the least important matter. Let's just make prayer for the weird people. Let's just make prayer for those strange ones. I'm telling you, prayer's where the action is. As long as Moses' hands were up, Israelites were winning. Whenever his hands go down, they're not. Same idea. When the praying church, arms are up. God, we need you. God goes. Had a, uh, how long do you want me to talk? I, I can go for like four hours if you want. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> and uh, this, this, this missionary came to this pastor's conference. I'm kidding. I'm almost done. I'll, I'll end soon. Um, he, came, he came to our, our, our church and he said, um, guys, I've spent my entire life. He was in his 60s. Spent my entire life working in the Middle East and uh, in Asia. And he said, I've given my life towards reaching people who are far from God. And he said, he said, in the 90s, you had this prayer movement in America called Pray Through the Window. And he said, you guys were praying for the 1040 window, which is the area that I work in. And he said, that part of the world. And he said, during that time, he said, the prayers of the local churches across the globe rose 1991, 1992, 1993, 1994, 1995. And he said, and he said, if you look at salvations, baptisms, church plants, more people mobilized to ministry, salvations, church plants, baptisms, people being discipled, the numbers went up all through the 1040 in those years in the 90s. And he said, but your movement, the pray through the window movement, it ended in the year 2000. And he said, and then he showed a graph and he showed how in the 2000s, the work started to decline. And he said, I'm not a theologian, I'm a practitioner. He said, I know that we have Arminians and Calvinists in the room. I know that we have people of every theological background in the room. And he said, I do not know exactly how this works, but this is what I know as a practitioner. When you pray, God does stuff. That's what he said. And I want to encourage you. Not that you could see it all. There will be a day where you'll see. There'll be a day that you'll go, oh, you were working the whole time. God does not waste one prayer. He hears every prayer. He hears your prayer. Every prayer. Last idea is this. Prayer does require perseverance. It's interesting to me that in the story, Moses' arms grew tired. Because laboring in the spiritual realm in prayer, it's pers- it gets tiring. And working up faith again, coming back, believing for that miracle, praying for the, you've seen people that you believe for healing and they weren't healed. And the temptations go, I'm just going to punt. I'm done. Give the prayer ministry to someone else. Give the intercessory calling to somebody else. I'm out. And that's why Jesus talked about persevering over and over again. 
He gave illustration and stories of not quitting. Luke 18, 1, where it's, I want you to always pray, but not give up. And he tells the story. Or when he says in the Sermon on the Mount, ask, seek, knock. Or when he tells the story about the neighbor banging on the door. Hey. Or when he talks about the lady saying, I just need justice against my adversary. Or blind Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples and the crowds told him to be quiet. Quiet, blind man. So Bartimaeus shouted all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus heard him and stopped. Calls the blind man. What do you want? see. Gets Jesus' attention. Tell me. To persevere, it takes high faith that he hears your prayers. But it's our invitation to, who just said it, James 4, 8, draw near or draw closer, draw close to the heart of God. 